0: You see, most, most blokes are going to be playing at 10. You're on 10 here, all the way up, all the way up, yeah. all the way up. You're on 10 on your guitar. Where mm. can you go from there? Where? I don't know. Nowhere, exactly. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Uh, put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. This is Jason Miller, author of Second Skin, Tales and Truths from the Mosh Pit of Life and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett.
1: Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast where every Friday I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book. This show has been named one of the top marketing podcasts by Forbes and LinkedIn, amongst others, and has millions of downloads and listeners in over 185 countries. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since I get to read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, connect and message me on LinkedIn, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. And to make sure you never miss an episode, you have a few options. The best way is to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, or go to marketingbookpodcast.com and sign up for email notifications. Or if you're on LinkedIn, find the Marketing Book Podcast page and click the subscribe button and maybe meet some of your fellow listeners. All right, let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome back Jason Miller to talk about his book, Second Skin, Tales and Truths from the Mosh Pit of Life, published by Heavy Metal Thunder. Jason Miller is a digital B2B marketer who has held senior marketing roles at LinkedIn, Marketo, and ActiveCampaign. Before entering the B2B space, he spent 10 years at Sony Music developing and executing marketing campaigns around the biggest names in music. He is a popular and very different keynote speaker, digital marketing instructor at the University of California, Berkeley, and best selling author of Welcome to the Funnel Proven Tactics to Turn Your Social Media and Content Marketing Up to 11, which was featured on episode 28 of the Marketing Book podcast in 2015. Also, an accomplished rock photographer, Jason photographs the world's biggest rock stars on stages across Europe and the U.S. He shot more than one million photos, interviewed thousands of musicians, documented and published his work in the limited edition book Down in Front. His photos have been featured in Vive La Rock magazine and on album covers of Diverse artists from Warrior Soul to the comeback album of pop princess Tiffany. And, interesting fact, he is not the Jason Miller, who is the author of Sex, Sorcery, and Spirit, The Secrets of Erotic Magic. (laughs) Jason, congratulations on Second Skin, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Welcome back, friend. I knew this day would come. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for that warm intro. Uh, And uh, yes, it's been a wild ride. Yes.
1: And there's only one person that doesn't need this question asked, which is Jason Miller. Are you ready to rock? I am 1000% ready to rock. I'm always ready to rock. It's always (laughs) turned up to 11. That's the only question people don't need to ask Jason Miller. So one thing uh, that was not in your bio that I, I just shared is that you were a bass player in a variety of hair metal bands, and you wore zebra-striped spandex pants. So, Jason Miller, be honest. As we record this, I can't see you. Are
0: you wearing zebra-striped spandex pants right now? No. No, I am not, but I still have them. And when I go on the Monsters of Rock cruise, um, usually every year, they do make an appearance. So I still have them. Uh, They don't look as good on me as they did when I was 17, but, uh, you know, I'm in that mode where I just don't really care anymore. I kind of do what I want to do. Such you know? a fine line between stupid and, and clever. Yeah. <laughs> Wise <laughs> words. Yes. Yeah, so, so
1: at this rate, you uh, will have officially been on the Marketing Book Podcast every 447 episodes. But I think that we can improve that uh, average because you have an updated version of Welcome to the Funnel and another book coming out about
0: personal branding, alive and amplified. Yes. I've got I've got several I've got three coming out. Uh, oh. We have a uh, a, a near tenth anniversary of Welcome to the Funnel. There's so much to update there, uh, but the core of the book still still rings true. I think uh, there's a um, the this the sequel to Second Skin, which has uh, been in the works uh, simultaneously, called Alive and Amplified, and then uh, a third uh, follow up to my concert photography book. It's simply called Bangers. Uh, And it comes out this Christmas. uh, Black and white photos from the underground scene of London. So, uh, yeah.
1: Excellent. And you teased uh, the reader on Second Skin by including a number of your photographs. Just amazing. And I'd seen a number of them on your website, Rock and Roll Cocktail, in the past. But I do have to share that my favorite one, your favorite picture in this book, page 98. And that's the picture at uh, Royal Albert Hall with you, your lovely wife,
0: Tricia, and your children, Jackson and Penny. Yes, and I tell you what. Like sometimes I pinch myself and I think I'm in Royal Albert Hall. Uh, just being in the venue, but I mean, I've I've shot some bands there. We go to the Christmas concert there. This what a magical, magical place. I mean, like like I get to take a step back and say like I live in London, uh, which blows my mind. Uh, and the fact that that I get I get these experiences with my family, uh, it, it's incredible to me. It really is.
1: Oh gosh, and I should also mention for. Uh, Marketing Book Podcast uh, listeners who are playing the home game, you also made a special guest appearance on the limited time series, Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails, and I will include a link to that as well uh, as your earlier episode uh, on this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And you know what? There's a few other books that I'm sure you've read that have been on the show that intersect with rock music and marketing, and I'm going to include links to those interviews uh, at this episode's website page, also at marketing book Podcast. Dot com. So, the book has been endorsed by a number of heavy hitters like Anne Handley, uh, Doug Kessler, Laura Gassner, Auding, John Burkhart, and Mark Masters, to name a few. And Doug Kessler, who is one of my favorite writers, he's with Velocity Partners in London and, and another American living in London like you. And I should add, uh, Doug, like Andy Bernard on The Office, is a Cornell graduate. But I just want to quote uh, from uh, what he said, only a story like this could create the bizarre combination of leather, weed, B2B marketing, and death metal that is Jason Miller. I couldn't stop reading. Neither could I. Next thing I knew, I was missing NFL games because I started reading this in the morning and it was like, no, 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 wait, I want to find out what happens next. And then uh, Mark Masters... Uh, with uh, you are the media who lives down in Burnmouth, England. Uh, big Burnmouth fan. Go Burnmouth! And he's also the author of Content Revolution. Uh, he's a past marketing book podcast guest. And interesting fact: he was the very first British author I interviewed, and uh, I think the only one that actually drank beer while he was being interviewed. But I mean, it was the it was the cocktail hour in England, so that that's fine. He wrote, here's a story about the importance of reinvention and the crossroads we all face. Jason shows us that when we find ways to shed our skin, we create opportunities, learn new skills, catapult our efforts, and make a meaningful impact in the ever-changing landscape of possibility. As our hero says, do you always. So, (laughs) Jason, uh, years ago, I'm a a fan of a number of the bands you mentioned in your book, uh, but also R.E.M. And I remember years ago, R.E.M. had yet another album come out. And for the promotional tour, the lead singer, Michael Stipe, did not participate. And instead, it was just Peter Buck and Mike Mills, the lead guitarist Mm -hmm. and the bass player, who went on, did the tours and were on all the news channels and so forth. And... They said, "Well, wait, wait. Where's, where's Michael Stipe? Where's Michael Stipe?" And These guys explained that what normally happened in these interviews is that the journalists would maybe ask a question or two about the the songs or how they, you know, where they recorded it, how they did it, and then they would very quickly jump into the soul of Michael Stipe and start asking him <laughs> the most personal, piercing questions, which. You know, good on Michael Stipe to to put up with that for so long. I I could never do that. So they said, you know, he's just going to sit this one out. And so I don't want that to happen to you. <laughs> I don't want to jump too <laughs> too far into your soul, although you bared it uh, in your book. But I'm going to read a couple of excerpts from the book and then ask you to. Talk about your, you know, your foundations from growing up to getting your first job to where you are now at the top of the B two B marketing world to where you are, which is maybe the first third of the book or so. And then in the remaining time, I want to ask you a series of questions that I think would be really, really helpful for marketers from the standpoint of, you know, marketing their organizations, but also marketing themselves, which of course goes right into that other book you're you're working from. So, but I don't want to get I don't want to go into it too much, but I do want you to set the stage, and I want to start by reading the introduction. You write, quote, by being rock and roll. That's the short answer to the question, how does a teenage metalhead from a dysfunctional home in Missouri's boondocks get here? Where's here exactly? Well, I've been called a B2B marketing expert, sought-after speaker, award-winning concert photographer, best-selling author, to which I insist on adding 80s metal karaoke idol and Seinfeld trivia sage, yet I've done a lot, been through a lot, seen a lot, drank a lot, smoked a lot, good and bad and ugly. This is my bismore, like a a memoir, but it's bismore, to borrow the term coined by my twisted sister friend, JJ French. These pages recount my personal and professional journey served up with a few marketing insights because any professional success I've had is rooted in life experience. In my 40-something years, I realized that who we are, what we do, and what we learn are inextricably linked. If we apply what we learn, we grow. If we don't, we stagnate. Like it or not, life only marches forward. Our choices are lead the pack, follow the pack, or choke in its dust. My instinct is to keep pushing boundaries and shedding the old. This is why I've called my book Second Skin. But I remain true to myself simply because I don't know how to be anyone else. And then I want to jump all the way to the end of the book, to uh, pages 96 and 97. And towards the end of the book, you were talking about Trisha and your uh, your relationship and your family. And uh, you write that one time she commented that I was a broken man, and I agree. Who wouldn't be after all that shit I've been through since childhood? (laughs) And then on the next page, you write, I still pinch myself when I think back on how I got here from the chaos of my adolescence to the collapse of the music industry. Sometimes I feel like my life began at the age of 36 and then I had some serious catching up to do. But the reality is that I am the product of everything I've been through and not just what I consider the good bits. So, Jason, now take yes. us back, if you would, uh, take as long as you need and, and lay the foundation that I've just touched on there. You know, Your childhood, your early career in the music industry, you, and your transition to the top of, of B2B marketing.
0: Yeah, so I think without going too far back and, and taking away from the beginning of the story, you know, I think if we jump into what, you know, I, I was just a, a, a I, I think having metal, one of the central themes of the book is, is you know, having something to help you through uh, the hard times when there's no one else there. And for me, that was always heavy metal and it became this central theme. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, uh, and I talk about this in the book. I, I had trouble fitting in 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 high school. I didn't know I could. I, I, I wasn't a jock. I tried to play sports. I sucked at them. Uh, I wasn't smart enough to be, uh, you know, a nerd. I guess we're all. I'm, I'm kind of a heavy metal nerd. I wasn't smart enough to be in a chess club or anything. Um, but there was this little group of heavy metal kids, uh, and they'd take anybody. They take all sort of the 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 misfits, if you will. So it kind of fell into. It. I think much like like most of us fall into B two B marketing. I would imagine. But you know, and and, and that sort of paved the way for this this uh, this rebellious sort of nature and sort of uh, and, uh, fighting back and and pushing uh, you know, put and always trying to get caught up and trying to you know push myself even further to see, just, just just to see what's possible. You know someone asked me the other day they said what what drives you and and who are you trying to impress and I'm, i and I thought to myself, well, no one, uh, I just want to <laughs> see if I can do it. you know, and I think that's the running theme of, of my life is can I do it?" And that's, you know, reinvention. It's moving from, uh, oh, I, I was in a hair metal band, as you mentioned. Uh, I, 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 we signed an independent record deal when I was you know, 17, I think. Long hair. Uh, you know, we, we had, you know, uh, I, I don't want to say group, but we had girls that, uh, you know, put on our makeup for us and, and everything. And uh, we, were, we were living the dream. And then... Uh, oh,
1: and I Nirvana. should add that in the book, oh. you made very clear that it, it's not eyeliner, it's guyliner.
0: Eyeliner—that is exactly right. And, and so I'll I've been wearing about, eyeliner ever since I read that, and I'm feeling okay about it. I—we had such a good time. I tell you, I—I I had super long hair. I won best hair in high school because my mother was a hairdresser. Uh, she had a beauty shop in our basement when I was growing up, and she said, "If you're going to have long hair, damn it, it's going to be beautiful." Uh, and so I won. I beat out all the uh, the the girls in school uh, in my yearbook. So well, I I'll be honest, it was good looking hair, you know. <laughs> but you know, um. The The problem was, is that we were having such a good time playing just silly, you know, heavy rock, hair metal, whatever, like Poison and, you know, Motley Crue stuff. But uh, we were all sitting around one night watching Headbangers Ball. And I remember Ricky Rackman came on and he said, uh, oh, that was Motley Crue with the Skull Crusher of the Week. He goes, up next, we got a brand new band. We think you're really going to enjoy them and it goes they're called Nirvana and we're like oh my god we saw this video for smells like teen spirit and like literally a week later the entire genre of hair metal was uh, was completely wiped off the map it was oh, impressive. uh huh yeah and uh do you still hold that against uh, Dave Grohl uh you know <laughs> uh Dave Dave is Dave is one of the last rock warriors and the champion he's he's our you know he's our he's everyone's hero in rock and roll so no but uh, I am glad to see that hair metal had a resurgence, and it's still, you know, it's kind of the cool thing now. But back then, it was not. But yeah, anyway. But that, I mean, that's that's just one of the moments of reinvention, right? So reinventing from hair metal into uh, into something meaningful in this new direction. Um, you know, I, I eventually figured that uh, you know the music. I wasn't going to make it in a band. Uh, I, well, God, it was crazy to think, I guess I would. Um, so I went to work in the music industry and live vicariously through the artists I work with. But also uh, I love turning people on to new music. I still do. And I thought that was, you know, that was my goal. And so I put everything I had into it uh, and I pushed and pushed and pushed, got a job at Sony. It's all, all the stories are in the book. And um, and then I watched that industry that I love so much you know, fight digital instead of embracing it, uh, and try well, to now, let's, hold. Let's
1: hold up for a second there. Y- yeah. You were in, I guess, a St. Louis at that point. And what was it you were doing for, uh,
0: Sony? Because people need to understand this is before we had any kind of streaming. Yeah. So, uh, I was, I was what they call college marketing rep. So I was going to school, um, during the day and then at night, uh, and I would run around to record stores and hang up posters and, <clears throat> go to college radio stations and try to get them to, you know, try to get them to play our new artists. Uh, so they would rank on the CMJ, the college music journal charts. And uh, then I would go out to a show and, you know, I was the only rep in town. So we'd, you know, I had to drive the band to the hotel and drive the band to the radio station. We'd do the meet and greets and, um, and then we'd go out and we'd take them out afterwards. So for, for a, for a kid in college who loves music, I mean, there wasn't a better job for me. And this is, this is, man, this is, this is 90 Ninety-eight, ninety-nine. So this is the dawn. I was out with System of a Down. You know, when no one knew who they were on a van, uh, Mudvayne. Uh, we were out with Slayer when they when they were kind of having their comeback, and uh, Incubus when they first started, Corn when they first started. So all these bands that you know that became these that reinvented metal pretty much. Uh, I was with them, and I got to see this, and including and so Tom Morello
1: from uh, Rage Against the Machine, and the record company said, "Whatever
0: you do." Don't take him to a strip club. Uh, there was this thing, like, you know, in St. Louis, there's not a lot to do in St. Louis, right? So uh, in East St. Louis, um, just across the river from downtown, uh, there's no liquor laws in East St. Louis and Illinois. So there's a little oasis called Sage, Illinois, and it's two strip clubs and a and a club that's open 24 hours a day. And it's literally, you know, you can go over there and stay there. All, like, we, I remember in college, they closed from I think from six six to six thirty uh just to sweep out the floor in the morning <laughs> we went outside, yeah, in the morning, we went outside <laughs> and go back in, so yeah, it was that's what you did, well, they wanted you to get some fresh air, I suppose <laughs> yeah, but it, it and the the Tom Morello story is funny because he was uh this is when rage was you know at their peak peak of their powers pretty much, and uh I, causing I, I trouble for call. the b b c as I recall. <laughs> What's that? Causing
1: trouble for the BBC as I recall.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> um they were they were very um they were very political and they were very uh, they were very driven. So I'll say that. But the nicest guys you know, you'd ever want to meet. Um and and Tom was I guess he had family in Chicago and he was driving this Porsche uh, back to LA and it broke down in St. Louis. This whole story's in the book. Um and uh, and I got a call out of the blue uh said jason this is tom Morello, and i was rushing to get to another gig that night and i thought it was my roommate like messing with me so i told him (laughs) to f off and i hung up on him and then five minutes later uh epic records calls me and says hey jason tom morello's car broke down he might be calling you and i'm like this is like a part of a movie this really happened like i can't make this up and and then i'm like oh my god oh my god oh my god he i think he just called and so uh, he did call back and I mean like you've seen this like play out in a hundred movies, but this really happened. as before all those movies. <laughs> and and he said, This is really Tom Burrell. And I'm so it's a Tom, I'm so sorry. Anyway, we, we went and picked him up at a at a block in front of a blockbuster video or something. He was waiting there. And then we took him out. And then uh we had a great time with the story. I don't remember the story, it's all in the book. Uh but then the next day, I think we got in at like four AM and we got in uh the next day, like we we were we it was Saturday, and we slept it. We took him to see Dick Dale, funny enough. Uh uh and uh, I remember we, we woke up probably like 2, 2 p.m. in the afternoon, me and my roommate, Chris, and, uh, and he, he called again. He said, my car's not ready. You want to go out again? I'm like, yeah, sh-. I'm like, what do you say? Sure. Uh, and we had just the best time ever. He's such a cool guy. Uh, and he's so good to the fans. I mean, one of the best people I've ever met, I think, industry or not.
1: Yeah. And those uh, performers are also so, some of the hardest working people. Uh, People don't always realize how how hard they have to work and how much goes on uh, behind the scenes. So you started to touch on this, but let's get into how inertia and short-sightedness started to sink the music industry, because there was a lot of frustration you started to have. With the music industry and pr- your employers, and it started to remind me of David Merriman Scott, where he worked in the news industry and he was mm-hmm. being told how to market these these organizations, and he said, "No, let's do it this way," and he got ultimately got fired because they said, "No, you're you're you got to do it the old way," <laughs> and the rest is history. He then wrote a book on the new rules of marketing and PR. So, talk about w- what was going on there because it also reminded me of Kodak where Kodak invented the digital camera, but they thought of themselves as being in the film and the chemical industry, and it's just, it's sometimes just too hard for an organization to make that transition.
0: Well, you know, it's, what's interesting to me is that, you know, uh, and I talk about this in the book, like, I think it could have been different. I mean, I was low man on the totem pole, like, at at Sony for, for a very long time, and Um, But I was out in the field and I was with the artists and I sort of like saw a lot of things firsthand and I knew how they were feeling. Um, And it was and there was some really like, you know, when when you have a band that you love and and you see the potential and they tell you that their entire life's work is in this album and they get one shot. uh, And if it doesn't work, then that just gets kind of tossed to the side and they move on to the next thing. So uh, I think it was, you know, it was largely driven by radio. If you didn't get, if you had a single uh, and it didn't get on radio, uh, even if it did get on radio, if it didn't get traction and blow up right away, you're, you're pretty much doomed. So I'd say nine out of 10 bands just never, never even got a a, a chance. Um, and then, you know, but he, I will say this though, look, there's some super smart people and I love some great people. I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to say it was all bad, but you know, they when the machine, when the major label machine worked, it worked incredibly well, and I think you see that through the superstar artists. You see it through, you know, Incubus, the ones that worked, Corn, System of a Down, Mudvayne, et cetera, et cetera, John Mayer. But when it didn't work, you didn't hear about it. They just the bands just disappeared. Uh, and the book Second Skin, uh, Second Skin came from the title of uh, the Mayfield Four. Ah, uh, their second album, which was uh, on Epic and supposed to be this this re- it was it was a masterpiece, one of my favorite albums of all time, uh, and it uh, it was supposed to be this ma- big massive hit and breakthrough breakthrough for the band, but it just you know uh, it just fell on deaf ears and a couple of shifts in in uh, management and you know across the label and Miles Kennedy was the singer of the Mayfield Four, who's now uh, very you know very successful singer songwriter in his own right, uh, sings he's you know, it's with Slash plays with Slash and the Conspirators and um, has his own solo thing. And, of course, Alter Bridge and Touring the World. So he he made it out, but he almost didn't. Um, but it, but then the thing that killed me the most was all this amazing, great music that never got heard just because I felt like it was given up on too early because it only had one path. And then digital came in and it just uh, it exploded everything in a really bad way because no one knew what to do with it.
1: Yeah, and you talk about how, I don't know if it was Sony, but uh, Napster was talking to the uh, music companies about maybe doing a partnership, and they just said they had nothing to do with it. They they, they they threw them out. Are those the reasons why you reflect on your time in the music
0: business with Melancholy, despite the parts you enjoyed? Well, I, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I was very fortunate to to have a good ten year run, and and I had you know a great boss, and and, um, and still some friends. I mean, uh, one of my old bosses is now the GM of Interscope Records. I mean, like uh, he's we just had dinner a few uh, a couple of months ago here in London, and some of my other colleagues uh, are doing very well, VPs of you know, Universal and whatnot. So, but it was I, I I it wasn't that the the problem I think that I have is that. I wasn't able to to really showcase what I could do because I was kind of stuck in the field and mm-hmm. and I was never in an office situation. But I also felt that I came out with a lot of good ideas that were really hard to sell uh, in this new space because it was so it was so new. Yeah, and it was I think everyone was scrambling to try to figure things out. I mean, there's a there's a story literally like a friend of mine and it's in the book as well uh, wanted me to bring in a new artist by Twitter oh, they, yeah. in the old Twitter office when there was like maybe i think it was maybe 100 people working at twitter and it could have been it could have been the first band to ever play uh, a live stream from twitter and i couldn't i could not get anybody to uh let me bring the band by um the labels just kept passing on it and these mm. weren't people that i knew these were labels like beyond my bosses and whatever. I'm like so uh, i just did no one seemed to care uh and and it frustrated me and i had to tell the guy at twitter which i knew was going to be the next big thing <laughs> that uh, no we can't bring the artist by so someone else got it one of the other labels finally figured it out but
1: right yeah, and then was, they probably felt like, like, like they that, wasted you know? their time with you and then they might not have thought of you first the next time so let's go that last, let's connect that last dot talk about well you the as the as the as Sony was kind of consolidating and uh, dropping people, they would move you around to different cities. And at one point, they move you to San Francisco. Talk about how you finally made the leap from the music industry to marketing,
0: so yeah, I mean, ten years in marketing, and I felt like I hadn't learned anything. And you know, um, I mean, it just it just kept getting worse. They kept you know the, the CDs were declining in sales. Streaming wasn't really a thing yet. Uh, they didn't have a model. You know, iTunes was the only avenue of selling singles for ninety nine cents, and and you know there's no money to be made there. So yeah, I kept getting calls saying like your your job's been eliminated. But like again, I, I I had a good boss and they they believed in me. But they just it it what that wasn't enough. So I got um you know I got a call from Austin and uh, they eliminated my job there. I moved to Houston. Then my job got eliminated in Houston. Then I moved to Dallas. Then I got eliminated in Dallas. Then I moved to San Francisco. But they moved me to San Francisco so I could be closer to the digital space, right? So you know, iTunes was out there, Apple, Google. Um, but I just could not make the transition, and not out of uh, you know, not because of effort, lack of effort on my part, but due to just some of the gatekeepers and it. right it within of, the, you know, within the you know? business, they just yeah. didn't accept you, yeah. And 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 that really, I, I don't know if they thought because I was this retail guy that maybe I didn't understand digital. But, you know, I, I took all these digital courses because Sony had a reimbursement program, which uh, a lot of people didn't know about. Uh, and so I was taking these accelerated digital PPC courses and research. And, and I got three certificates in a year and a half. And, I mean, this is one of the classes that, I'm, that I teach at UC Berkeley now, which is ironic. But, you know, I I felt that, you know, that... It was up to me to to get these skills while I could, uh, and then I had to figure out a way to get out because it wasn't ever going to transition. Mm-hmm. So they were actually pay- paying for you to learn what you could do at your next job, which I thought i, I thought that was somewhat ironic, yeah, and and true story, ironically, uh, on the, right when I finished these courses, uh, I was doing a lot of um digital ad strategy and PPC stuff with with Google, and um the international team and asked me to help them out with some stuff. And then after uh, I quit, they uh, someone called me and asked me if, if I could do some consulting for them. And I thought, "You? you I used to work for you, like." And I tried, I, and 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 you know, and it's another thing in the book where I literally put together this whole like six page plan for uh, for a blog at Sony. This is before blogs were a thing, uh, and. Uh, yeah, I ran into my I ran into one of the guys I worked with years ago at South by Southwest. and said, "Hey, whatever happened to that plan I sent over for the for the Columbia Records blog?" And he goes, "What what plan? What are you talking about?" I'm like, "Oh Jesus, I'm, like, I'm so <laughs> glad I'm fucking out of this." That's-
1: right? You talked about be the media
0: instead of relying on like, let's say Rolling Stone to get the word out. Yeah, yeah, and, and it was it, it was just you know again uh, there's there's it just so so much confusion. And nobody really knew um, It digital just came up so quick and with Napster uh, and the value of music, the perception of the value of music dropping so quickly. Um, and, and again, but it's, it's the classic tale of what happens when you try to fight disruption. Yes. We all yes. know what happens now. Yes. And
1: I can understand why people think the way they do. And, you know, a lot of what you're saying really is is an observation, probably more than a, yeah. a criticism. So. You ultimately left, and you started working in the in the tech industry. And as I mentioned earlier, you worked at um, LinkedIn. You worked ultimately at uh, Active Campaign, Marketo, uh, a few other uh, companies. Now, I said from the music industry to marketing. Well, it, in 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 truth, you were in marketing for ten years. But at, on one page, like at page ninety one, you say my entry into professional marketing was an abrupt gear shift. From everything I had done before. And I want to quote from page 57, which shows enormous humility on your part. And I, I think it will encourage a lot of people listening who are new to marketing or are overwhelmed by it. You said, I didn't know what I was doing when I began working in digital marketing.
0: Does that surprise people? I remember, like, this is your story. Like, I, I when I left Sony and went over to uh, my first job, I got my foot in the door to a little startup called Zoomering, uh, Market Tools. Uh, Zoomering was the product, uh, it was a survey tool. And I got my, and, and the only reason I got that job is because I started my own blog. I started Rock and Roll Cocktail, and I just started writing about things I was learning about. This is a classic scenario. This is how I built my reputation at Marketo. You have a problem, you, uh, you find an expert, uh, interview them, and you write about it and i did that at my own time on my own blog and that got me in the door even though i didn't have any digital experience to, per se but yeah and and this is a true story i remember uh, there was a guy i was working with and he said he goes uh, hey we have this email campaign going out and you can you can uh, click on this and you can download a, a pdf ebook and i said you can download a pdf ebook are you <laughs> kidding me this is the coolest thing i've ever seen that was how naive i was but you know i had no idea what i was doing so that just meant I had to work twice as hard. Uh, but I'll tell you what, like, like that's what drives me is is the things I don't know. But the opportunity uh, was there uh, to to smash it, and that's kind of what I do. And I will tell you this, even to this day, every time I start a new job or a new project, every time I think to myself, I don't know what the hell I'm doing.
1: Oh, that's such great advice for everyone, and I just want to add to that. There's uh, two things. One from page eight, you talk about stagnation, and you say it's one of your most hated things where it remains to this day. It fuels your desire to be in the vanguard. It's an obsession. Which is what's required to keep up in digital marketing, where change is relentless. Some burn out or become complacent, but for me, that's a fuck yeah, let's go! And then on eighteen, you write that you've always had an obsessive drive to learn everything about the things that interest you, which is just, it's great. I mean, you know, sometimes you know you're always uh, talking to college students or, or or you know younger people, the kids these days, as I like to say. And I think some flawed advice is to follow your passion, but I think that the more that you can find something that interests you, you always do better. And you really zeroed in on the things that interest you, and it's 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 done really, really well. So I want to Talk about something else about Jason Miller that I think is helped me enormously uh, and 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 very valuable. You write that you have built friendships that continue to this day by being truthful rather than telling people what they want to hear. And I, if you could talk more about that, because I think there's a lot more fear in the in the business world then people will acknowledge and i think there's a lot of people that are just afraid of speaking the truth to clients or or to their their chain of command
0: you know it's and even in the music business uh and and it kind of parlayed into into b2b uh i was you know i thought i was such a fan of some of these bands that i was honest with them i was really honest whether or not i I thought their you know song was going to break or whether or not this sounded as good like like, maybe i was you know um talking to someone who put their life's work into that. But I was doing it in a manner of like, I was just trying as a, as a passionate fan trying to give direct feedback. Some people really appreciated that. And some, some folks, some didn't so much. And those are stories are in the book. But I think when I went to LinkedIn, uh, you know, I learned so much at LinkedIn in, in 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 the early days when no one, you know, gave a shit about LinkedIn and, uh, and, and, the you know, before it blew up to what it is today. And even LinkedIn uh, didn't quite know what you guys were doing. Right. <laughs> We had no idea. Like we had no idea. like we, it was. We had a very small marketing team. We didn't even have a a, a a paid product per se. They launched sponsored updates the week that I joined. That's how early on it was. No one knew there was even a marketing opportunity on LinkedIn. So they kind of uh, you kind of had some free reign there. Well, we did. It was because it, no one cared about it because they didn't. <laughs> they didn't really see the future. So like, but everyone you know everyone thinks that oh you worked at LinkedIn you had this big budget like no we didn't we had this was before wrong. Microsoft bought them right. Oh, way, way before, yeah, yeah yeah, and 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 everyone thought, oh, LinkedIn's got millions of followers, not LinkedIn marketing solutions, yeah, we're the same company, but they didn't they never shared us, they never helped any of us, they never helped us share any of our content or messaging, they were afraid it was going to dilute their audience, and <laughs> you know um yeah we we had free reign, but the, you know the the important thing was we had the one of the cultural pieces of LinkedIn, which I still carry with me, is how to deliver feedback uh, and that Piece was uh, open, honest, and constructive, and I think if you know, it, it's it's that rule of threes. If you can take that that approach with every every I guess every opportunity you have to provide feedback to somebody or one on ones with your team or whatnot, uh, I think they appreciate that. Um, and and you know I think what you're seeing right now is a lot of charlatans. I, I call them on LinkedIn, which are. You know, oh, I, uh, especially with the AI stuff. Yes, oh, I, I closed I closed 147 deals this month with my AI system. It's like, but yeah, let, 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 you're talking B2B marketers. Let's talk about what was your uh, uh, what's your average deal size? What's your product? What's your <laughs> what's your buying cycle? You really want to go there? But I see they're telling people what they want to hear. Yeah, and I see it like going viral, and it, it drives me crazy. Um, so yeah, I, I I try to go the opposite and just say, look. This is this is what it's really like and this is coming from someone who's done this uh, you know in the trenches of B2B marketing. I wouldn't feel comfortable telling you this unless I either failed at it or I found a way to solve the challenge, you know. Yeah, I remember early in my advertising agency career, my a
1: boss told me uh, the advice of when you're talking to a client, always try to discern the difference between they what they want and what they need. And the other thing <laughs> that I think it's interesting from what what you're talking about there is that you are a fan, sure, but you were also a marketer with a deep understanding of the customer. And that is one of the biggest flaws of a lot of companies these days is they just don't understand their customers as well as they want to or they think they do. And it's very difficult, but the ones that do have an understanding of their customers always seem to work well. And they don't have to have it perfectly. They just have to be a little bit better <laughs> than their competition. Oh, yeah. So I agree. Yeah. So the other thing I want to ask you about, and, and and we kind of started to touch on this without my maybe folks realizing it, but you started. You mentioned your blog. Okay, and this is from page fifty one, and I think this is very valuable. You know, long term career advice. You write when your company no longer seems to know what to do with you, and I hear from a lot of marketers. Who complain about that. When your company no longer seems to know what to do with you, and when you no longer feel challenged, walk away. I've had to do that a few times, and it's quite empowering. If you have a strong network to fall back on, you should never fear quitting a job. Now, what that brought to mind for me—you know, everyone reads something and interprets it differently. You know Michael Brenner very well— And uh, he's been on the show a couple times, and I remember when he was working for SAP, he was writing a – he was doing a blog, and it was called – I think it was B2B Marketing Insider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was basically writing what he was learning as he was trying to get that big organization to transform into more of a content marketing organization. And it was really, really interesting. And he was you know, really trying to swim upstream, but he was very successful. And I – While he was still there, I remember thinking, you know, that guy has such a following and such a network that he's never going to have to look for a job in the future because he was so well-known and ultimately he left SAP on good terms, but he's gone on to other jobs and now he's got his own business. And I was wondering if you could talk about how powerful that has been for you, like with your blog, uh, as, as well as the network to fall back on.
0: Well, I think it, it's you know I love Michael. He's su- he's such a good guy, and he's yeah. so smart. Uh, and and again, he was he was one of the influencers like the like on my list when I started Marquel. Like I gotta meet this guy. I want to guest blog for him. I was like he's so brilliant. And uh, we spent many many nights at Content Marketing World, you know, in in the pubs and whatnot. But um, but the lesson there again, it's it, it's it's really nothing new outside of. You know, uh, the the old quote, um, you know, don't hate the media, become the media. If, if you can't get traction yes. of people talking about you or or building, or, you know, your, your audience, like, you know, you got to find your tribe. Uh, and you find your tribe by finding, like, the challenges, like people who have similar challenges to you, uh, and you solve them in a unique, creative way, and then you share how you did it. Uh, and if you do it well, and you do it consistently... Then um, you know, you're going to build an audience, no matter what. It, it, and the more niche you can get, I think the more, um, I think the better you know it, it, it becomes. Trying to when you can find that underserved audience, and and from for Michael Brenner, uh, the B two B audience with real opinions and real experience at that time, uh, it couldn't have been a better fit, right? So, so it was yeah, so I, helpful. I think, oh, yeah, and I think it's it's it's. You know, do you have something to say? Of course, everyone has something to say. But getting the confidence out there and getting the channel, um, you know, to do so is—it's is, up to you. You know, Liam Gallagher said, "How you can have it all, but how bad do you want it?" Yes, uh, a great think, quote. How much? How much can you push yourself? Yeah, yeah. You mentioned Chris earlier. Tell us who Chris Bueller is. So Chris is my—he's uh, my best friend in the world. He was the best man at my wedding. Uh, we were college roommates together. Uh, he wrote the foreword to the book. And uh, he was working at uh, we lived together in college. He was the Interscope college rep, and I was the Sony College rep. So we had very similar jobs. Uh, and so every single night we were out with a band or at a show or doing something crazy uh, every single night. <laughs> uh, and and when when I got the job at Sony and moved to Austin, he started his own agency. Uh, and long story short, uh, when I when I transitioned into uh, the B two B space and I went to Marketo, um, Chris had this you know this B two C agency, and I called him up and I said, "Hey man, uh, do you ever you ever work on a B two B campaign?" He goes, "No, what's that?" I'm like, "Fantastic!" <laughs> and we brought him on board, so we had this B two C approach in a B two B world, and 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 at the time, no one had seen anything like that before, uh, and so the rest of we, I mean, and he was my agency. Uh, all the way through uh, Marketo. I brought him to LinkedIn. We did the sophisticated marketer, everything sophisticated marketers uh series there. Won a bunch of awards. We did uh the first podcast at LinkedIn, did the first live stream at LinkedIn, uh lots of first and, and and now Chris uh has this massive agency uh, and he's a LinkedIn certified partner. They won some they best they won the best partner award last year. But you know, again it goes back to my tribe and, and my, my pit crew and um <laughs> you know, having those relationships, and I couldn't have done it without Chris. We, we feed off each other, and he couldn't do it without me. You quote him in the book on page 53, and I'd like you to expand on
1: this uh, further if you can. He said, Jason and I have been able to bring to marketing the vibe of in-store meet and greets where you get people to come in and listen to a band. That's where the magic starts. We don't approach B2B campaigns with a business mentality. We approach them with a how do we make something really cool so people will actually give a shit about it? attitude? It's really that simple.
0: yeah. and it was it was about, you know how do how do we entertain? How do we make something entertaining that positions the brand in a place where it's approachable uh, and that people want to be a little bit closer to it because they think it's cool? And I think, you know, back then, no one was thinking about b two b like that. It was all sales cycles and this and that. And, and there were people saying, "Oh, you can't have, you know, a personality in b two b, like, which is <laughs> insane to think about that now uh, because it's it's the exact opposite. Now I'm not saying we 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 you were know, the people who invented this not by any means. but uh, I think we were we brought it to a a space and made a lot of noise uh, and made it acceptable to um, you know, to do really cool, fun, uh, experimental leaps of faith uh, in, in the B2B marketing space around 2012, 2013. So yeah. I'm really proud of that.
1: Well, I think there was a lot of leadership there, which I want to talk about in a minute. But speaking of entertaining, you've got a, you know, a chapter about your you know, your approach to keynotes. Uh, and again, it was sort of a thing where you didn't really know much about it, but you, you said, all right, well, what do I got to do? And <laughs> you did have a lot of experience on stage, except it was playing a, a bass and having really, really good hair, <laughs> um, but there's a, a section on page sixty-one, and I just I couldn't agree with it more. And you write, um, uh, many of the people who attend conferences are seeking new approaches to marketing their businesses, brand, or product. I do my best to present the hows and whys of successful marketing, making sure to convey that they can do this too. Frequently. Speakers use examples from Nike, Red Bull, Volvo, Dove, etc., million-dollar campaigns with 50 people driving them to inspire startups with zero budgets or resources. <laughs> How does that help anyone? Why do you think that happens so often? Is it because people think, "Oh, more people will know about it if I use them as
0: an example?" I think because it's easy. I think cause yeah. it, it's easy and it's it's easy to, to relate to very quickly, right? So, I mean, what I found, again, like back in the day, well, this is a true story. There there was a, a digital conference in San Francisco um, right when um, Old Spice, I think, did the, the man that your man could smell like or something. Yeah. And it completely went viral and crazy. And, and, and I don't remember the person's name who did the campaign, but they were speaking about the campaign and how, and they were very proud of themselves. I do remember that. And it was a brilliant campaign. I'm not taking anything away from that. But I remember uh, that someone in the audience uh, came. They said, "Are there any questions?" And somebody in the audience said, "Because uh, they were really, you know, blowing themselves up. Like, oh yeah, it was super easy. We came up with this." And and someone asked them a question. They said, uh, "If it's so easy, why haven't you done it again?" Uh, and the guy, <laughs> the person, got really pissed off and, and walked off stage. And but you know, it's it, it again. Like I think you see, you, you see the same examples because they're easy. Red Bull, yeah. Then, like, yeah. Like the other day, someone posted a carousel of, like, "Oh, brands you need to be like." It's like, are you kidding me? The best, coolest brands are the tiny little businesses who don't give a shit, who are having fun with their messaging and uh, and and really doing the surprise and delight and, and having personality and poking fun and you know, it, it, I, I just they're just harder to find. Like Marcus and, and Sheridan's pool company. Yeah, exactly. It's a classic example. But, you know, even um, even there's a sock company here in London uh, called the London Sock Company. And I, I love socks. I think all marketers love socks for some reason. And they put this, uh, they had an email go out and they said that they would donate um, two pairs of socks for every pair purchased uh, in, in December to a charity. And they messed up the copy and it said 22 pairs of socks. And uh, they came back and said, "You know what? We're gonna go ahead and honor that anyway." And I <laughs> thought that was like, "It's just really funny." So they took a hit on it, but like these, yeah, they had the fun and personality. And uh, I just ordered some stickers for uh, from my blog, and I found this little sticker company I never heard of before. Uh, most delightful, fun experience. Like I feel like I'm close. To, I feel like they're my friend. Uh, and and you know, these are the examples that you don't see because they're so infrequent. Uh, And they only happen to a small segment. So they're harder to find, hence uh, it's more difficult for a marketer to pull it into a story.
1: Yes. I Believe it or not, a couple years ago, I got a book. I get a lot of books now, folks interested in being interviewed. And this was one book where they profiled like five companies and what they're doing right. And I can't remember the exact ones, but it was like Nike, Google, Amazon... (laughs) It was all the usual, you know, Airbnb, all the usual suspects. And it was like, no, I I don't need those examples anymore. So I touched uh, earlier about uh, on thought leadership, and I just wanted to talk about that thought leadership. It's one of those terms that's uh, very important in marketing, and it is, I think, very, very misunderstood, And actually, there was a a book on thought leadership uh, by Bob Boudet that was on a while back. I'll include a link to that interview that I think people should uh, listen to. And you write that thought leadership, which I think is very misunderstood, it means transforming an existing idea into something completely new, like Jimi Hendrix did with the Star-Spangled Banner. Explain what
0: you mean. So yeah, and and I you know Star Spangled Banner is a great example, but he took something that was familiar and he put his own spin on it and pushed it into territory that no one had ever ever even imagined before. And you could you, you another example is is Black Sabbath. They invented heavy metal. They took blues, they put their own spin on it, uh, and they turned it into something that no one had ever heard of before. And I mean, I use a lot of music references, but I think you know if if I think about thought leadership today. Uh, I, I I certainly think the world has enough thought leaders, right? But not enough thought leadership, I would say. Uh, and now I think it's more important to have these strong opinions. I think st- thought leadership is around strong opinions, uh, pushing these ideas forward, and trying to give people uh, some sort of inspiration or hope to solve these challenges in new, creative ways. And it it, it sort of also ties into uh, you know, I talk a lot about creativity and and creativity and marketing, which always always sort of falls by default into the, oh well, I'm not creative enough, or uh creative is only for artists and musicians. And and this is this creativity isn't necessarily a, a specific skill that's related or you know, related to a, a specific task, but it is certainly a skill and it's something that can be learned. Yes and it can be something something that can be practiced. And so I think there was a new definition I saw of creativity, which I think I put in the book, which is not only um, you know the art sort of definition, but uh, a creativity in the sense of coming up with a, an elegant a new solution in a creative way. Right, And I think that's something we can all sort of focus on, is not looking at creativity as an art or music, sort of, how how it's always been looked at in the past, but as a unique way of finding new solutions and and brainstorming and spitballing uh, and trying different approaches. And I think that's like sort of the critical piece there.
1: Yes, and there have been, I think, at least three really, really good books on the show about creativity, which talk about what you just mentioned. It's more of an approach (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> connect you know it's like it's like getting in shape it's 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 not some lightning in a jar you suddenly get i'll include links to those on this page as well but you just touched on something i want you to say more and, and and help folks understand you say there's the world has enough thought leaders but not enough thought leadership explain explain more about what you mean there
0: well i i think you know um the fact that anyone can become a thought leader today i think you know is, is both <laughs> You know, it, it empowering. Back also, to your LinkedIn newsfeed. <laughs> yeah, also dangerous. And you know, Doug Kessler, Well, back to Doug Kessler. You know, when we did B two B dinner for five at LinkedIn years ago, uh, tiny budget, by the way, uh, scrapped it together. But we did a lot of had a lot of fun with that. You know, uh, Doug said something that sticks with me to this day, and he said uh, it was when all of the. Um, the journal, uh, the, all, all the uh, the like, different um, uh, blogs and big journals were going away, and and he said, you know, one day uh, editorial jobs were uh, from the big mass media companies were going away. Um, and Doug said, he goes, you know what? One day we're gonna miss the gatekeepers, meaning that we're gonna miss that quality control uh, layer that is now. I think you, now you've seen run amok on LinkedIn. So anybody who who has an uh, an AI prompt or Can you know to drop a a a sales story into uh, into ChatGPT and make it AI related can go viral, and I think it buries it buries the the real quality stuff, Uh, and and not to mention that the folks many of the folks who are actually doing the best work are probably too busy doing the work to even share it on LinkedIn in many cases. So uh, it's about it's about finding the thought leaders who who matter to you, who uh, have the 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 credibility. Who have proven themselves, and who uh, you know, who are relatable, and and who are actually doing work because they want to do it for themselves, or they want to help others instead of going viral. Uh, I think that's that's kind of what I where I think about it now, and and it's 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 sad to me that uh, that I think a lot of us compare ourselves every day to if we don't post some piece on LinkedIn that gets hundred shares or hundred comments that we're a failure. And again, it goes back to the under, find your underserved audience, find your tribe, uh, say, f- f- solve some problems, share some ideas. Like that's, that's, that's always been about that, but now it's turned into a popularity contest.
1: Yeah. Well, just one thing about um, content. You, you write about the oversaturated market for content. That's, that's out there. And content shock, as uh, Mark Schaefer calls it. And Mark Schaefer is the king of the marketing book podcast.
0: I am your king.
1: <laughs> he calls it content shock. That was one of his books. And you write that marketers sometimes freak out and they say something along the lines of, what's the, what's the point
0: of investing in content if the value is declining? How are they missing the point with that attitude? Content's always going to be king, no matter what anybody says. It's a matter of: Are you creating the right content? Are you creating the content that matters? And are you extracting as much value out of that content as you can? So I, I think there was, uh, you know, lots of folks uh, we used to call it random acts of content, just pumping out content to to go after different um, you know audiences and and try to solve these problems. But uh, the, I don't think there's ever been an argument in the in in the need and the investment for content. But I think when you look at today on how we need to get a little bit better (laughs) at solving people's problems quicker and inspiring them to show them that uh, there is a solution uh, and what you have to offer – uh, that's what I think the focus can be. So it's kind of cutting through the fluff. I think years ago, I think there's be a lot more room for fluff. Now I don't think there's room for any fluff. Uh, I think the fluff is being replaced by by strong opinions uh, and these creative approaches. But again, it, it's it, there should be no question about what content you create, how to create it. It's all out there. It's just a matter of how can you streamline it, be as helpful as possible, uh, and and have an opinion on why this is all critical and important. You know, and, and it goes back to. Uh, uh, one of the biggest problems I see all the time is there's a big stat that says uh, why you need to do this, or um, you know why this is important, or jump on this trend. And one of the big things I'll give you an example: uh, brand marketing. Brand mar- brand is the missing piece right now for all B- for pretty much all companies, specifically B two B. But you never get anyone who tells you concretely how to measure. Brand awareness because it's hard. It's very hard, and you have to get very creative with the solution. Uh, now, I have my own ways, and there are different ways, and you have to kind of you know figure these out for yourself. But there is an opportunity. There is an opportunity, um, much like thought leadership and the definition of what that meant years ago. Uh, these there's opportunities out there to go out uh, and crush it with owning that conversation and being specific and being strongly opinionated on it. Uh, and I think that's what's missing. So if you if you can nail those things, uh, uh, there should be no question about investing in content.
1: Yes. And speaking of the brand for B2B, this was covered, in, I think, in chapter 13. I sound like some savant. Uh, chapter 13 of uh, Louis Gadema's a uh, second edition of bullseye marketing he talked it was a new a new chapter and he talked about why that's so important and just because you can't measure it doesn't mean it's not important one of my favorite lines though you started to touch on this we can't just let that get away listen up folks most random acts of content don't work well because they are inconsistent irrelevant to the audience's concerns and have neither an objective nor a key performance indicator attached. Can you dig it? Yeah. Can you
0: dig it? Yeah. Can you dig it? Yeah.
1: Okay, just a couple other questions, uh, and this is related to people, for, uh, career advice and advice for the young people out there. By the way, I love The Warriors.
0: I love The <laughs> Warriors. One of my favorite the time.
1: I had a feeling that was right up your uh, your wheelhouse. 100%. So you talk about, Hybrid marketers and one-dimensional marketers. So, explain what you mean when you say when you talk. Uh, what a hybrid marketer is, and what a one-dimensional marketer
0: is, and which one makes you easily disposable. Oh, this this is the this is this is really good timing because I tell you what, when we were we used to talk about this a lot at LinkedIn, and I had this idea, this hybrid marketer, and the hybrid marketer came from linked from or, sorry came from Marketo. And, you know, when I was an employee, like, 105 or something at Marketo, and a very startup culture, it was my first time working in a startup like this, but I was sitting in between demand gen, product, PR, design, and, uh, and, you know, even though I was focused on content and social, I started to learn from the other folks around me just because, like, you can't not learn from them and you can't not understand how these disciplines work together. So, uh, so I thought that was really interesting this approach where you don't have to be an expert in any one thing, but if you understand how they all work together, how all these different disciplines of marketing work together, then you're going to set yourself up for success, especially as you get more advanced into the leadership of marketing roles. Mm-hmm. Now um, now there was a lot of pushback, which is so ironic. I'm not saying I feel good about this by any means. From the, the marketing world at large, you got the pushback? everyone was pushing back and saying, oh, you're spreading yourself too thin. It was like a, a Jack of all trades, master of none. Right. And I thought, what a bunch of horse shit. And now, now you're looking at AI. If you're a specialist, you're kind of doomed because if you're a specialist in any one thing, especially if it has to do with data sets, you're doomed. So, uh, (laughs) I, I, I don't want to say I told you so, but I just thought it was a better approach. Now, is there room for experts and specialists? Of course there is. There will always be. But, uh, I think if you want a if you want a long career in marketing and you aspire to be a, a VP of marketing or a leader, you have to understand, of course, how teams function and focus on team building and people. But you also have to know how these things fit together and what success looks like on a greater scale. That is what a lot of marketing leaders don't talk about uh, because it, they just kind of do it. Um so. That, I, I think that's what I meant, and, and I think the hybrid market is coming back around, and I think AI is forcing people, a lot of different people, to question whether or not they want to go deep in any one marketing discipline.
1: Yes, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Real quick story. I can remember back when I was a, a strapping young assistant account executive at the mm-hmm. J. Walter Thompson New York Ad Agency, and it was around, I don't know, 1988 or so, and they had this massive print production department. And they even included two guys who were experts on typesetting, and they dealt with all the typesetting houses where you have a, a a print ad, and it would need to go out to a a type house, and they would set all the type. Okay, one day, both of those type guys were fired, and all the art directors were in an uproar, and everyone was saying, "How can you fire these type guys?" How what, what 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 madness is this? And they said, well, there's a guy on the third floor now who has one of those computers and, and he's gonna do it. <laughs> and sure enough, uh it was um that's that's what happened. And and the all the art directors, the, you know, they all threatened to quit and go on strike, which they never did. But it was sort of like, oh, all right. And <laughs> all the type guys were gone. So if you're an expert in a particular area, just Think about you know, could you suddenly become uh, a type person, or if you're a, you were an expert on Google Plus, um, all that <laughs> could could suddenly go away. So anyway, uh, just on a personal note, I, I have to laugh, Jason Miller, when occasionally I'll get a a pitch, or maybe somebody on LinkedIn will message me, and they're like a 22 year old agency growth consultant, and you know, I just I'm thinking, I you know. Please, I, I, I'm just not sure how much experience you've had growing growing an agency. <laughs> so on page, <laughs> page 104, you wrote, Ageism is a bitch in the workplace, in your hobby, in general. But in marketing, no 22-year-old growth hacker can hold a candle to a true marketing leader who's seen it all. Different organizational structures and team dynamics, firings, massive success and failure – Economic downturns, even a pandemic, the one-trick ponies making your life hell by being difficult or judging you will be crushed when their one-dimensional approach is gobbled up by AI. And just (laughs) when did digital creator become a legit job title? It's like claiming to be Jimi Hendrix because you aced Guitar Hero on Xbox. Oh, so you argue that senior marketers with substantial experience will continue to have the advantage. How so?
0: That sort of spawned off of two things. One was a dinner I was at, and there was a, a B2B marketer uh, next to me, a brilliant B2B marketer, who was having trouble because of that exact scenario. And they felt that they didn't have uh, the skill set uh you know to compete with these these new uh growth hackers and I thought and I was like you you are completely you've got it completely backwards it's the other side around the other way around and the other piece came from watching uh I think it was was it uh Infinity Wars where um where where Thanos is famously you know getting ready to murder Thor and Loki says uh you might want to save me if you need a uh you know a guide from earth and he says something to the effect of if uh, if by God you mean failure, uh, if you're someone who has experience in that realm, and he says if by experience you mean failure, and he says by I mean I was to say he says by experience I mean experience, and so that was the other piece like experience is experience is experience. So all that experience, good and bad, is much more valuable than uh, some growth hacking skills you can get, uh, you know, from a couple of viral posts. So, um, but but the the bigger the bigger picture was, yeah. Uh, what's left to do in marketing? This is my next post. What's left to do? Because uh, apparently you can write 180, according to my LinkedIn feed today, uh, someone wrote uh, 187 blog posts in seven minutes. Uh, and then they created uh, 465 personalized videos in, uh, in three minutes. Uh, and then there was another fear monger who said, uh, AI is coming for your job. What's left to do? You know what's left to do? And I should add, right? all those guys were crypto experts two years ago. Exactly. Yeah, uh, and, and and running with their NFTs. So, but what's left to do? What's really left to do? I will tell you this, in my honest opinion, uh, strategy, leadership, and big ideas. That is the only thing left for marketing to do in the future. Once once AI uh, has its has its its grips in, and the real sad thing is, there's not going to be any. Where where does a, where does a marketer um, you know, cut their teeth. Where does a new marketer get all these experiences? Because they're not going to be there to run through the motions anymore, and that's a shame. And I think you could say the same about like journalists. Where, where are the future journalists, a, a prize-winning journalists, going to be coming from? Because all these local papers, where they would learn the trade and cut their teeth and get the experience, they're all becoming obsolete. So I think you know the future of marketing, uh, is is really how do you get that experience? Uh, Harvard Business Review uh, uh, article came out just a month or so ago, said the the, the, the half-life of skills is like two years now. So I'm not trying to be that fear monger. I think that fear monger pisses me off. What I'm saying is, and this is in the book, upskill, upskill, upskill. Push yourself, continue to learn, and you'll be fine. You'll make it out alive, right? But it's all about upskilling, learning, and pushing yourself.
1: Yes, and listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. But I digress. Last thing I wanted to ask about was, again, for the young people out there, and this kind of touches on that. You write that marketers just entering the field will have to compete with AI to cut their teeth, and that's the biggest challenge they're going to face. So, again, your advice to the Gen Z and millennials who are
0: listening upskill like i said before learn as much as you can find the folks who inspire you who are doing incredible work who aren't, who are doing it because they want to do it and because it's meaningful not the ones who are doing it to uh, be charlatans or go viral or try to teach you how to find a shortcut to engagement S- find your tribe find the people who inspire you uh join a community be part of that um, ask questions don't be like, don't be afraid to try new things and put yourself out there. Uh, I, I'm there's there's a million pieces of advice, but the biggest thing is is continue to push yourself, continue to take chances, uh, learn to be more creative, and and find the people who inspire you and try to learn from them. Uh, and and you know my example was you know Anne Hanley. Uh, I wanted to I, I followed her at conferences, read her book. Uh, got eventually got to guest blog on marketing profs. Same with Michael Brenner. Like it's building those relationships, uh, and 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 passing the knowledge on. Uh, but again, it, it's you have to push yourself, you have to stay sharp. If you go in, if you phone it in, if you're low and slow, collect the dough, you're going to be out the door very quickly. That's really
1: going to resonate with a lot of listeners because I don't think there's a whole lot of people listening to this <laughs> who tend to phone it in anyway. So, Jason, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be?
0: Um, I would say this it's it's never too late to reinvent yourself. Uh, yes, again and again and again. Uh, i've I, i've I've sort of had to reinvent myself three or four times. Uh, it's not easy. If it were easy, everyone would be doing it. But mm-hmm. uh, you can do it. Uh, it is achievable. and uh, I, I think it's a it's a great experience. And when you come out on the other end and you said I did it, uh, you know, you won't be doing it by yourself because you're gonna need some help. But it's a good feeling, and it keeps you it keeps you moving forward. And and and, and I, I think you know, you sometimes you just need that to you know to do it for yourself, to make yourself happy, and and keep yourself content. Um, it's, but it's reinvention. It's reinvention. Find something you're passionate about. Find something you want to learn, and go master it. And you know what? It's okay if you don't know what you're doing. I mean, look at me. I'm almost
1: five hundred episodes into this thing. I, I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> but I do, but, dear listener, I do appreciate you listening. So what is one thing a listener could do today? Just to put in action an idea from your book to get them sort of thinking in the right direction?
0: easy. Very easy. When you wake up in the morning, write down what's in your mind. What's do a brain dump. I used to be I used to be a, a, a sort of a night owl, and now that I'm in you know getting older, it, it happens in the morning, and, and I think it's because the kids, obviously. But any idea you have in your head, don't wait. Don't you have to put it down in in paper in Google? I have seven hundred ideas over over the past year and a half in Google Docs. Get the ideas out of your head. Every time you see something in the wild, write it down and keep these organized because these ideas are what is going to keep you moving forward. They're going to keep the uh, the, the your, your, your momentum and your learning and your curiosity is going to be born from these. So uh, f- pick the best ideas, flush them out. I think that's the biggest thing. So everyone has something to say, a story, something to contribute, a big idea. Uh, it, it's just how do you put it into a place where you can keep tabs on it, add to it, and run with it and release it into the wild. That's, I think, the biggest <laughs> thing anyone can do.
1: And I'll add, there is so much science behind what you just <laughs> advised. The idea of writing down, journaling, uh, really, really powerful. Um, some of the most successful people do that. So aside from your three books that you mentioned, uh, are there any recent or upcoming books
0: you recommend or are looking forward to reading? So, uh, you know, I, uh, as I mentioned in the book, J.J. Uh, uh, French from Twisted Sister wrote a really great book uh, called Twisted Business. Uh, which is where I borrowed the bizoir from. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I think it it's just a really great um book on what JJ was a manager of Twisted Sisters. You know he still manages all their all their uh their you know their deals and whatnot. Um but he ties in these personal stories and I think uh that's what I'm really into. I'm really into uh, uh biographies right now and, and learning from others and um that that's that's kind of my my thing. It's the personal stories Tied in with the business lessons, and I think that's the future of what where a lot of these cool books are heading. In my opinion, I, I wouldn't be surprised because your book was so much fun to read. It was meant to be like a movie; like uh, t- you can get through it in two hours and hopefully one or two settings. And uh, and and there's also this this theme of um, you know these short stories, like these different anecdotes pulled together, <laughs> right. uh, which I really like that that theme as well. So
1: yeah, it would make a great uh, screenplay or. Um uh, a Netflix series, but I should warn you, I'm full of ideas. As long as I don't have to uh, implement them, hey, real quick, tell us about RockandRollCocktail.com.
0: RockandRollCocktail.com is uh, it, it's the website, it's the blog I started, um, you know, over 10 years ago when when I just started getting my ideas out there. Uh, it's still going. It's still a place where uh, I just put my thoughts and uh, music, music that I love, music I think you should hear, uh, thoughts on creativity. Um, photography lessons, everything I learn, uh, I document and I put it out there. And that was, that's what I've done from day one of, uh, of the transition, you mm. know, from, uh, from music industry into B2B. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, that's me, that's, that's everything, it's my narrative, it's flowing in one direction and it's updated and uh, I just, like, it's a visual, fun approach for me to, to have that outlet. So, I don't wait for anybody to tell my story, I do it myself.
1: Oh, <laughs> that's great. And I appreciate you doing that. So at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to everything linkable, including uh, all the books and articles you've mentioned, that site, uh, your LinkedIn profile. Uh, And now a word to you, dear listener, please reach out to Jason in some way and congratulate him on this book and thank him for being a guest again on the Marketing Book Podcast. If nothing else, share this interview on LinkedIn and tag us so we can thank you. And if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app like Apple Podcasts, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on this episode's website link. Couple of final quotes, I, I, I just can't resist. Page 91, my seemingly inexhaustible creativity has always guided me. What fuels it? An unrelenting appetite for inspiration and learning, surrounding myself with folks who navigate the marketing maze better than I can and being open to new approaches. The growth mindset isn't just a fancy phrase. And from page 105, if I had to sum up my life, I'd say that it's a story that wasn't supposed to happen, but it did. A teen metalhead's dream of rock stardom becoming music marketing, becoming digital marketing, becoming public speaking and publishing, becoming concert photography, becoming. The iterations of self should only end when you're pushing daisies. If you cannot keep shedding your skin, you risk being a waste of skin." The book is Second Skin, Tales and Truths from the Mosh Pit of Life. The author is Jason Miller. Jason, thank you very much for
0: returning to the Marketing Book Podcast. I am so thrilled that you invited me back. I'm a big fan. You know that. Uh, so uh, thank you for um, thank you for everything. What a fun, what a great conversation. Well, and as to paraphrase John Lennon, I hope I pass the audition and uh, that you'll return. 1,000% anytime, you know, uh, say the word. you? Giggins! <laughs>